0: Well, good morning, Marberly. I'm so excited to be here with you today because it's my first opportunity as your interim pastor to share the Lord's Supper with you. And it's always a very special experience for me uh, and for the church because today I'm not really going to preach a message. I'm going to simply give the introduction to the main message that you will be preaching because the Bible says as often as you uh, take this bread and this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the main message today will be preached by the bread and the cup. And so to begin with, I want to find out, is there anybody in this room that does not yet have their single serve communion cup? We have some men in the back. Just hold your hand up and keep it up, and we'll make sure one gets to you. Hold your hand up and keep it up, because we want to make sure everyone participates in this. It won't be full communion unless everybody participates. I want to talk to you today about the powerful meaning of the Lord's Supper. If you have your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 14, verse 12, because the Last Supper really became the first Lord's Supper. Now, today is Palm Sunday, which ushers in the week that leads up to the crucifixion. And then, of course, one week from today, He is risen he has risen indeed. Now, when Jesus came to that first Sunday, that Palm Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem and they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it's called the triumphal entry. I call it the tearful entry because Je- when Jesus got halfway down the Mount of Olives, he stopped and he wept over the city of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, if you'd only recognize the time of God's visitation. In other words, he says, I'm here. God is here that you claim to worship, and they didn't recognize him. And we face the same challenge today, as we're going to learn, that we need to make sure that today in this Lord's Supper, we recognize the body and the blood of the Lord. So if you have Mark 14:12, let's just go right into it. I welcome you to stand as we honor God through the reading of his holy and errant word. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go? And notice this word, prepare the Passover so that you may eat it. So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him wherever he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the rabbi, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations. There it is again for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to destroy. Be distressed and say to him one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve and the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And then Jesus adds a new twist to Passover. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he he gave it to them and they all drank from it. he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Pay attention here. Truly, I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for that you would transport us back in our hearts and minds to that last supper so we can truly understand what you were doing. And then, Lord, bring us back to today and remove any distraction so that we can truly recognize your body and your blood as we share a communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. One of the most famous... Paintings in the world is Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper painted in 1495. He actually painted it on the dining room wall of the convent in Milan, Italy. So imagine for centuries uh, it was in this dining room and uh, priests, monks, nuns ate in total silence with this picture over them. Uh, it became so faded over the centuries that it was, took 21 years to restore it, and in 1999 it was restored. If you notice, it looks like da Vinci has captured the moment when to, to the right of Jesus, John is leaning over and asking Peter, who, who do you think he's talking about? And right between them is Judas. In the original painting, his hand is holding a bag full of coins. But this is not accurate. This, this looks like a setup for a, for a photograph, right? Yeah, let's take a, let's take a selfie. Line up, everybody. But that's not the way it was. It looked more like this because the Bible says they were reclining around a table. And this was a Jewish way of eating because the right hand was the clean hand. Left hand, you did all the other stuff. But you only ate with the right hand. You'd lean on your left elbow and reach and feed with your right hand. So this is the picture you need to have when you're picturing this Last Supper. I want to share with you four important truths about the Lord's Supper, comparing it to Passover. And then we'll share the Lord's Supper together. Uh, and then we're going to end the service with a wonderful time of praise and worship. Number one, the Lord's Supper involves careful preparation. Three times we found the word go and make sure that the room and the meal is prepared. Now, Passover is actually a 24-hour uh, celebration that, that begins on 15th Nisan, just like the car, and ends at sunset the next day. Now, this year, by the way, 2022, Passover begins on sunset this Friday, April the 15th. But it ushered in a a seven-day period called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the Jews would only eat unleavened bread, which is not very tasty, by the way, as you're going to tell when we eat this little wafer. I mean, it was kind of, they were like suffering for a week, unleavened bread. But it was to remind them of the time in Egypt 1,400 years earlier when they had left Egypt so quickly they didn't have time for the bread to rise. But when he says prepare for the Passover, it doesn't just mean get the food ready and the room ready. You see, in the Jewish culture, before Passover, they always spent an intense time of deep cleaning of the houses to get rid of all the leaven, the yeast. With us, that's pretty much anything that has gluten in it uh, because it's a picture of sin. And so the women... In the households before Passover, they would take lamps and lanterns and and they would look into the deepest, darkest recesses of their house and and the closets and everything and make sure all the leaven was gone before Passover. And by the way, the Jewish families that are observant still do that today. My son-in-law's twin brother lives in Fort Worth and his next door neighbor is a Jewish rabbi. And every spring, they take all anything with leaven out of the refrigerator. They take it all out of their pantry and they take it all over all over to his house and put it in his garage, in his refrigerator, in the garage. So they kind of found a little loophole here. They don't throw it away. Then after Passover is over, they go and get it and put it back in their house. That's part of the preparation for Passover. Now, we need to t- take, make preparation this morning before we receive the Lord's Supper. So what are you talking about? Well, you need to have a good house cleaning. By the way, this tradition of cleaning for Passover is probably where we got the tradition of what we call spring cleaning. But when I say you need to do a good house cleaning, I'm not talking about your residence. I'm talking about your heart, where the Lord Jesus lives there by faith. He's made your heart his home. You need to examine yourself and see if there's any sin or leaven in your life. I'm not just making up this connection because in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 7, Paul points this out. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are. And this is a powerful declaration for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old leaven, Or with the leaven, see, this is what he calls the leaven today, malice and evil. But with the unleavened bread, and here he connects the symbolism and spirituality of sincerity and truth. So you need to ask the Holy Spirit to shine his spotlight in the deepest recesses of your heart and say, Lord, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Am I holding a grudge against somebody? Is there any unconfessed sin in my life, any hidden hidden lust, any attitude of unforgiveness towards somebody? And if so, you need to get out that leaven, confess it, and repent of it. Here's the second truth. The Lord's Supper requires self-examination. You know, self-examination. The Passover for Jewish families has always been a time of great joy and celebration and anticipation uh when i was pastor at green acres uh, on three occasions we did a big meal that was called christ in the passover and we went through all the elements of passover and talked about how you can find jesus in all those elements of the passover but the unusual situation about this last supper is that the mood was somber the mood was sorrowful because of what jesus said they sat down to eat, or they laid down to eat, reclined to eat. And he said, this night, one of you is going to betray me. Now, you need to understand, they didn't suspect Judas. He was their trusted treasurer. It wasn't like when he said that, everybody looked at Judas and said, oh, yeah, we know. No, they didn't know. In fact, they went around the table, and in the, and the grammar in the Greek, it literally says this, Lord, is not me, is it? Matthew said, Lord, is not me, is it? Thomas said, Lord, it's not me, is it? John said, Lord, it's not me, is it? They, they went around and they really thought that it could be one of them and they didn't know who it was going to be. And when Judas probably said, it's not me, is it, Lord? Jesus didn't say bingo. <laughs> but then he gave this small little tell to John and Peter. He said, it's the one that I dip my unleavened bread in the bowl of hummus with. That's how close Judas was him. They were dipping their bread out of the same bowl of hummus that was how close it was and you know when he came to peter i love old peter he's like a redneck in east texas if peter was alive today he'd have a pickup with those oversized tires and a rifle rack in the back and a bumper sticker that said god guts and guns made america great peter said lord these other guys may forsake you but i never will and Jesus said, Peter, man, you don't know yourself because tomorrow morning before you hear the cock a doodle do of the rooster, you are going to deny me three times. To- oh, no, Lord, I'll never do that. So we need to have a self-examination before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He says, let a person examine himself, herself. In this way, let him eat and drink from the cup for whoever eats and drinks without, and this is important, recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What that means is if you take the Lord's Supper without truly seeing the body and blood of the Lord in your heart and in your mind, uh, it ends up being like self-judgment on yourself. And, and I recall, I was so guilty of that when I was like a young teenager before I fell in love with the Lord. We, we'd have the Lord at our church in my hometown and I'd just kind of joke through it and make jokes and funny comments about it to my friends. They thought I was so cool and I was just a clown and I was eating and drinking judgment to myself, not knowing it. So that's what it means, a self-examination. Now, this is not gonna happen. I'm totally making it up, but it's just for the, for, get you to think for a moment. What if I made a prediction today that this week, in East Texas, a member of Moberly Baptist Church is going to commit a terrible sin that'll be public that when it happens, people will say, I can't believe he or she did that. So what are you thinking right now? Are you thinking, hey, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Or are you thinking, well, yeah, I'll never do that. I just got one phrase for you, (laughs) cock-a-doodle-doo. Listen, all of us ought to say something like, Lord, is it me? Because if you think it's somebody else and it's not you, that reveals there is some spiritual pride in your heart that you need to get rid of. I mean, the attitude we ought to have is that any of us and each of us are capable of, Any day of failing the Lord, except for the grace of God, go I. That's why we desperately need grace, not just grace to save us. We need grace every single second of our lives. So it involves a self-examination. Number three, the Lord's Supper symbolizes a powerful representation. Representation, all the elements of the Passover meal represented something. Of course, uh, it, it, was, it went back to 1,400 years before when uh, Israelites were slaves in Egypt and Moses said, God said, let my people go and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. They sent a series of plagues and then finally God said, the firstborn in every household is going to die. Unless you follow my simple instructions, take a lamb, one-year-old, prime of life, without spot or blemish, slaughter the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the lentils and doorposts of your door, and then go in under the blood, roast the lamb, eat the lamb, and consume the lamb. Now, the Jewish people continued to do this until the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but since then, they haven't had a lamb as part of their Passover observance. Uh, today, our Jewish friends eat chicken or turkey, but they always have a lamb shank, which is a bone from the leg, a roasted bone, and it's just there to remind them of the Passover lamb. So uh, they have bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of being slaves in Europe. They have an applesauce with nuts and things in it to represent the mortar they had to make for the bricks. So there's symbolism. There's an egg that they use to symbolize life. Is probably where we got the idea of Easter eggs. So the, everything has symbolism. Now, you know, our Catholic friends, and by the way, I know some Catholics that are born again. Do you know that? I know some Baptists that are born again. (laughs) I mean, I I think the Catholic system is really way off. And sometimes I think the Baptist system is pretty off, too, just when you think of a denomination. But, you know, Catholics believe that when they go to Mass and they take the bread, they are literally receiving the bread body of Jesus that's how they receive Christ and they believe that the cup literally is becomes the blood of Jesus by the way you know why magicians say hocus pocus because in the Latin mass when the priest takes the bread he says hostess corpus hostess corpus hocus pocus there you go it magically transforms into the body and blood of Jesus I know some Catholics in Tyler, they go to mass seven days a week because they don't wanna spend a day without receiving Christ and being covered in the blood. By the way, if I believe what they believe, I would take mass every day too. They believe what's called transubstantiation, it changes. But we don't believe that. We believe that it is a powerful symbol that this little piece of unleavened bread symbolizes the body of Jesus. That this fruit of the vine symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And you say, well, pastor, I mean, doesn't a symbol make it kind of weak? I don't think so. Think about our other symbols. You take a piece of cloth and there's nothing special about it. But you put the colors of red, white, and blue and 50 stars on it and stripes on it. Tell you what, it represents a symbol of our nation. And that's why when I put up our flag in front of our house, I'm never going to let it touch the ground. And I would never, ever burn an American flag. You know why? Because it symbolizes something very precious to us. And that is the freedom that we enjoy as Americans. So this powerful symbol is what we have represented today. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:23, 23, on the night... When he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Here's the key. Do this in remembrance of me. He's giving us a memory tool. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. True story. Uh, A pastor's wife in a church, a friend of mine's church, uh, they were having the Lord's Supper pre-COVID, so they were passing the stuff out like we used to do. And her five-year-old daughter was in there in the first time and she was just fascinated by all of this, you know, the body and the blood. And, and her mother did a great job of explaining to her, well, sweetheart, this is just grape juice. It's not real blood, it's just grape juice, but it represents the body, the blood of Jesus. And she seemed to get it. A couple of days later that week, she said to her daughter, she said, sweetheart, your father is going to be late coming home this evening because he stopped by the blood bank to give blood to help sick people. And she smiled and said, well, of course we know it's just grape juice. <laughs> so in a few moments, when you hold that little piece of unleavened bread in your hand, I want you to picture The body of Jesus that was broken for us. Well, not a bone was broken, as the Scripture says. But, I mean, when that whip broke his skin and shredded it, and when that thorn, crown of thorns, pierced his brow and broke the skin and the nails broke the hands and feet, I want you to picture that. And then when we take that little vial of grape juice, I want you to picture the blood of Jesus being poured out. Because it's a powerful symbol and we can't miss it. Finally, number four. The Lord's Supper produces joyful anticipation. Joyful anticipation. And what do you mean by that? Well, you remember Jesus said in the verse 25 of, of Luke 14, Mark 14. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God of heaven. And so there, there is a forward-looking aspect of what we're doing today. You know, this involves, the Lord's Supper involves three looks. We look back in history at how Jesus suffered on the cross. We look inward into our hearts to see the holiness that should be there. And then we look forward in hope to the time when Jesus comes again because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11:26 for as often as you eat this bread that's what we're going to do and drink this cup that's what we're going to do you proclaim the Lord's death when until he comes now when Jesus said I'm going to drink this fruit of the vine new with you in the kingdom of God what was he talking about well you don't have to wonder it's right here in the Bible the Bible talks about one time in the future when we will be in heaven and we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Read it for yourself. Revelation 19:7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride, that's us, we're the bride of Christ, has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, to John, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus has given to each one of you who are part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ an embossed invitation you have been invited to the marriage supper of the lamb have you given him an rsvp if you have your confirmation number write it down is jn316 316. jn316 316. john 316 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life.